Welcome back to the Highway to Health Podcast, and thanks for connecting with us again on Podwheels, powered by Radio Nemo. In this episode of the podcast, we'll be joined by Dr. Ann Croman, who is a cardiac electrophysiologist at the Medical University of South Carolina in Charleston. Dr. Croman will be discussing a host of issues related to the condition of AFib, including risk factors and treatment of the condition. Dave Nemo will be your host for this edition of the Highway to Health Podcast. And now it's time to hand it off to Dave for his feature interview with Dr. Ann Croman. Dr. Croman, good morning. Good morning. Thank you so much for having me. It's an honor to be here. Well, it is an honor to have you, and I certainly appreciate you taking time out of your morning here to visit because I know this is kind of your busy time of day in a hospital, so it means a lot to us. Absolutely. Glad to. We have Atrial Fibrillation Awareness Month, the month of September, AFib. You hear this and you don't really know what it is, but I know a guy who might have it. We have symptoms, we have treatments, we have the dangers and some of the preventative things that we can do. So we're going to kind of touch on most of that if we can. But I like your hands-on explanation of what you do in terms of the electricity flowing through our bodies. Sure. So the way I describe it, I'm a cardiac electrophysiologist. And what that means is I'm a specialized type of cardiologist who deals with everything in the electric system of the heart. So I deal with atrial fibrillation, all of our other arrhythmia disorders, which could include rhythmias from the bottom chambers of the heart, also deal with pacemakers and defibrillators. So if you think about it, in our world of cardiology, we have the most important people in the forefront, which are general cardiologists, and sort of the general contractors of the cardiology world. And then we have the interventional cardiologists who implant stents or valves, and they're sort of the plumbers. And then I am the electrician. So it takes kind of a whole big team of people from the general contractors to the plumbers who will fix your plumbing with the stents or the valves. And then I'm an electrician who deals with everything on the electrical side of the heart. Wow, love that analogy. And I think our listeners can really relate to all of that, too, for sure, for sure. (laughs) Atrial fibrillation, I'm just going to call it AFib. It's arrhythmia, and I looked up arrhythmia. It comes from the Greek, and it simply means without rhythm. Now, I know some musicians that have musical arrhythmia, too, but that's another story. But this refers to an irregular heartbeat. It's not the same for everybody, and there are different categories here. So I thought maybe we want to talk a little bit about the subcategories of AFib. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. You're exactly right. So any type of heart arrhythmia is any deviation from the normal rhythm, which is referred to as sinus rhythm. Sinus rhythm is kind of the normal organized rhythm of the heart. Starts out from the brain, sending out kind of an impulse to the heart, telling it kind of how fast to beat. There's kind of certain ranges that everybody's heart kind of normally settles at. Obviously, this is going to go up in times of stress or we're chased by a tiger or a lion or running or anything where we need the heart rate to increase, but that can be a normal response and it's a very regulated, regular rhythm. Any deviation from that is referred to as one of our cardiac arrhythmias, of which, as you appropriately mentioned, there's a lot of different types. AFib is actually one of the most common. It's an arrhythmia that comes from the two top chambers of the heart. Those are the atria. We have a right and a left atrium. So that's the atrial part of atrial fibrillation is the two top chambers of the heart. And it's one of the most common abnormal heart rhythms that we actually see. And instead of the upper two top chambers beating in a very regular fashion, 
Instead, it's sort of like electrical chaos that happens in these upper two chambers where they sort of disorganize electrical activity and they almost quiver, so to speak. And that's kind of that fibrillation. The fibrillation is kind of a fast, quivering type disorganized electrical circuit. This leads the bottom chambers when that electricity comes down. The bottom chambers don't beat as fast as the top chambers, but they can beat fast and they can beat in an irregular fashion due to the fact the bottom chambers aren't getting regular impulses like they do in normal rhythm. It is a disorganized kind of chaotic rhythm that originates in the upper top chambers of the heart. And it's one of the most common and most prevalent abnormal heart rhythms that we see across our population. I remember watching old movies and things, and it's usually a lady who would say, oh, I'm having heart palpitations. But that's a real thing. Are there different patterns that indicate different problems? Sure, absolutely. Just to start with atrial fibrillation, there's even kind of different categories of atrial fibrillation. So in the early stages of having atrial fibrillation, a lot of people have what we call paroxysmal atrial fibrillation. And paroxysmal just means that it's paroxysms or it comes and it goes, meaning that you can have episodes of atrial fibrillation that are there for a short time and then they may go away on their own. It may come back, go away. It may be months, years in between recurrences. They may be triggered by times of stress or times of illness, but it comes and goes on its own. As that can sort of progress, we see that kind of transition into what we refer to as persistent atrial fibrillation, meaning that the heart is kind of stayed in atrial fibrillation and it can progress. It takes either medications or a procedure to kind of get it out of atrial fibrillation at that point. And then sometimes it progresses all the way to the point that there's a decision between the patient and the doctor that we're not going to ever try to get the heart out of atrial fibrillation. We're just going to let that top chambers do it. They've been in atrial fibrillation for, say, 20, 30 years. Then we refer to that as sort of permanent atrial fibrillation. We're taking medicines at that point. What is that medicine going Mm -hmm. to do if not correcting the AFib itself? When we talk about different treatments and medicines or procedures in AFib, we sort of target two different sides of it. This sometimes gets confusing for people and for patients, which I certainly understand. On one side of treating atrial fibrillation, we have to look at the risk of stroke. And because those top chambers are sort of quivering and not squeezing as regularly or as fully as they are in normal rhythm, that blood can sort of stagnate around a little bit. And sort of like if you ever see a a little river or a stream where there's some kind of sticks in there and the water's not moving as rapidly, it can kind of build up some sludge and some leaf debris that sort of gathers at the side. The same for the blood when those top chambers aren't pumping and squeezing as hard or as regularly. That can form blood clots, which can lead to strokes. So in atrial fibrillation, the most concerning aspect, and actually the one life-threatening part about AFib, is not the heart rhythm itself, but the fact that there's a great increase in the risk of stroke. So that's why one side of treating AFib is blood thinners to help reduce the risk of the stroke and those Mm -hmm. clots forming. Mm -hmm. Those blood thinners don't do anything to actually treat the AFib itself or to treat patient symptoms. It's more just treating the risk of stroke. 
And then on the other side of things, there's a variety of different medications or procedures that we have to kind of help control people's symptoms in AFib or to help keep the AFib away and to kind of essentially get rid of it or really decrease the amount of AFib that we're having. I always find it fascinating that everybody experiences AFib very differently. A lot of people have very different symptoms from it. You talk about the women that have heart palpitations in the old movies. Mm-hmm. Some people are very, very aware of their own heartbeats. They're very aware of any abnormal heartbeats that they have. Other people just have symptoms of kind of being a little bit out of breath when they're in atrial fibrillation. Other people are a little bit more tired or fatigued. And then some people have no symptoms from it at all. They never notice it. It doesn't bother them. It doesn't seem to affect their quality of life. So everybody's a little bit different in the symptoms that they would experience with AFib. We're going to head into a break here real quick, but that's the person you don't want to see, right? Because on the surface, everything is fine. And then underneath, he's got a little blood clot factory working. If you have unrecognized AFib in your own sense, Mm -hmm. is that pretty much what's going to do you in eventually? It's hard to say. I wish I had a crystal ball to predict all that. But (laughs) if somebody is having AFib that they don't know about and they're not on a blood thinner, they do have the increased stroke risk that we worry about. For the people who aren't having symptoms from AFib, but they're on a blood thinner and protected from stroke risk, then they may be fine. And then AFib is not really a worry or concern from them. But it's mainly that risk of the stroke that we worry about the most. And then there is a but wait moment. Okay, I don't know I've got a problem. That's why I go to the doctor once a year to get checked Mm -hmm. up because that stethoscope tells all. And he can say or you can say, you know what? You got AFib. I do? Yeah. What can I do about it? And then we start working on it. Yes, absolutely. Dr. Ann Croman is with us from the MUSC Health University Medical Center. She's over in Charleston, South Carolina. Dr. Croman, you know the old joke, well, doc, it only hurts when I do this. Well, don't do that. My heart kind of feels weird when I do something, like when I lift heavy weights or if I do a little running, but then it goes away. So we have this kind of on-again, off-again thing, too. If you feel it once, are you okay? If you feel it twice... That's a great and fabulous question, and I would urge people that any time that they are having symptoms, symptoms of feeling abnormal heartbeats or feeling like their heart is racing or just not beating right or skipping a lot, that's definitely something to be concerned about and see a doctor. Also, on a different side, what you were mentioning, too, is any time that somebody has kind of chest pain, chest pressure, chest heaviness, or getting out of breath or getting real kind of out of breath and sweaty when they're doing something, exerting themselves, being real active. And then if it sort of eases up when they rest, that can also be a really concerning sign. And that can be a concerning sign for blockages of the heart arteries that may need sense to open them up. If the heart is under stress, like when we're working out or exercising or really pushing ourselves, and there's a blockage in the heart arteries and the heart's not getting enough blood flow, then we can get signs and symptoms of this kind of that chest pain. That's kind of what we refer to as angina, the fancy word for it. That just sort of means that the heart is hurting. It's not getting as much blood flow because there's a blockage building up in the heart arteries. So any of those types of symptoms are also concerning. People shouldn't think, oh, well, if I stop and relax, it goes away, so it's no big deal. That still can be a big deal because if you think about it, you stop and relax, then the heart's not as stressed. 
and then suddenly that blockage isn't as big of a deal and the heart can sort of recover a little bit. So those type of symptoms are also something that's concerning and definitely something to seek out and see a doctor. Pacemakers. Is AFib one of the leading reasons why you would insert a pacemaker? It's actually not, but there Ah. is a use for pacemakers in atrial fibrillation. I talk about this a lot with my patients all the time. Pacemakers, sometimes we have to use in people with AFib for very kind of specific reasons. So in atrial fibrillation, the heart tends to go very, very fast. And we use medications to kind of control that. And all the medications that we sometimes use for atrial fibrillation can slow the heart rate down. What we don't want to do is drop the heart rate so slow that then people feel bad from having a slow heart rate or the heart rate kind of pausing or it's just Mm -hmm. not going as fast as we need it to go. It's sort of taking away the gas in the tank and people get up and go that they need from that heart rate support because of the medicines we use for the AFib. So in those type of cases, we do need a pacemaker to help us treat the AFib. It's not that the pacemaker is fixing the AFib, but the pacemaker sort of allows us to use other medications to control the AFib, and the pacemaker sort of provides us a floor so where the heart rate won't drop below a specific point. So we can then use the medicines without worrying about the medicine slowing down the heart rate too much so people can still have a regulated heart rate with a pacemaker and be able to use the medicine for the AFib. So they can definitely go hand in hand. And there's times that we do use pacemakers with atrial fibrillation to sort of help us treat the AFib itself. Okay, I got you. So medicine, the pacemaker, they kind of form a little team. One can't really work without the other. So you need all of that to kind of get the team down the field, so to speak. Yes. Yep, exactly. Okay, let's go through the list that we all know in the first place. Lifestyle (laughs) habits, drinking too much alcohol, drinking too much caffeine, Mm -hmm. illegal drug use. Now, we see marijuana being okayed for recreational use in states. The trucking industry Mm -hmm. is under federal guidelines, so marijuana is an absolute no-no in trucking. But let's talk about that in terms of being illegal. Is marijuana a big problem? I know cocaine is a big problem. Yes, cocaine absolutely is. Marijuana for atrial fibrillation is not so much. And especially the downsides we would see would be from the smoking aspect. Mm. So it's not necessarily the drug itself, but it is kind of if people do choose to smoke it, that stress on the lungs because there's a tight connection between atrial fibrillation and the lungs. So anything that can stress the lungs out can lead to atrial fibrillation, but not necessarily any of the actual effects of marijuana. That being said, it's not something that we've studied quite a lot, Mm. but certainly it's not as high-ranking as we would say cocaine or even alcohol as far as providing these triggers for atrial fibrillation. Is it because cocaine raises your heart rate and alcohol slows it down? So a couple different mechanisms there. Cocaine is very stressful on the heart in general, can lead to even heart attacks, heart blockages, and then abnormal heart rhythms, even atrial fibrillation, or even more deadly heart rhythms from the bottom chambers of the heart and can lead to what we call sudden cardiac death. There's a lot of bad ways that cocaine affects the heart. It speeds up the heart. It also constricts all those blood vessels. So it can clamp off all the blood vessels in the heart and other organs of the body and essentially kind of kill off that organ. So a lot of ways that cocaine is bad. 
Alcohol can also dehydrates us. It depletes us of electrolytes, which we need in our body to sort of keep our electric system running and running smoothly. So alcohol is sort of the opposite end of the spectrum. You have to kind of slow everything down. It's a little bit of a depressant. And it also is very dehydrating and can deplete us of electrolytes as well. We're almost out of time, but I think we have just enough time to get into the season that we just entered, fall, winter. We are entering cold and flu season, and we have a lot of over-the-counter stuff that everybody's going to start grabbing and taking now. Those are a problem. Sure. Some of those, especially the ones that have the heavy-duty decongestants in them, can raise the blood pressure across the body and in the heart and can sort of speed up the heart as well. So there are great over-the-counter medicines that don't do that, and it's just a few of the select ingredients in them, so there's still plenty of good options without those, and people can just look for the ones that usually have a little heart on it or some sort of designation, mm. that they're more kind of on the, what we refer to as the heart-healthy side of those medicines, or if not, ask your wonderful, friendly local pharmacist, and they're always usually very, very happy to help kind of point people in the right direction there, too. We didn't cover every base, but you really did. Thank you so much. So comprehensive, and I can't thank you enough for, again, taking time to be with us here this morning. It's what I love to do and love to talk about. I can talk about this all day long. My pleasure. We'll have you back then. I hope so. We would love to. Absolutely. Dr. Ann Croman, everybody. That closes out this edition of the Highway to Health Podcast. We would like to take this opportunity to thank you once again for spending part of your day with us on Pod Wheels, powered by Radio Nemo. Now, folks, you can always find the Highway to Health Podcast through Pod Wheels, powered by Radio Nemo. And let's tell you about a few of the outlets where the podcast is available. You can listen to all of the episodes of the Highway to Health Podcast through our website. Or you can subscribe to the podcast through all of the major podcast platforms, including Apple, Spotify, iHeart, Amazon Music, and Google Podcasts. Just go to wherever you get your podcast and search Highway to Health. The Highway to Health Podcast is a production of Podwheels, powered by Radio Nemo.